Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We are back here today after Purdue went 2-0 in a week where they absolutely had to have 2-0. Mission accomplished there, and now they will have some downtime before they head to Michigan State with a lot on the line here over these final two weeks of the regular season. We'll break down the wins at Northwestern and over Rutgers, talk all sorts of things Purdue basketball related. We will spend some time discussing the topic that has everyone talking in the college basketball world, Juwan Howard, and plenty more here on the show today. Thank you to those of you that sent in some questions on Twitter. Got a lot to talk about here So let's dive right in. But first, as always, if you don't already, give the show a follow on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. They're talking all the time uh, about Purdue sports, about the Big Ten, about college basketball, college football as a whole. Uh, You'll want to subscribe, excuse me, follow there so that you don't miss any of that. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are everywhere. Uh, And you want to subscribe here. We've got March coming up. I know I'm recording this Monday night. uh, So we are seven days away from the Rothstein countdown all day, the number of hours until March. And then we are in the greatest month of the year uh, if you are a college basketball fan. So subscribe. Tons of content coming up with the Big Ten race and the NCAA tournament on the horizon. Don't miss a beat. This past week, Purdue got two wins that they needed badly, uh, two games where they were favored, and really two teams that Purdue is better than. Uh, they got a important 70-64 to win over Northwestern, and they came home to face one of the hottest teams in the country in Rutgers, uh, getting an 84-72 win in a game where I really really thought Purdue played very well. You know, you look back at this week, and I think the story is Purdue had that day off on Thursday. Uh, They had gone 23 straight days with a game or practice uh, due to the scheduling disaster, so to speak, that happened when they had to add that Michigan game in there uh, to really congest it up pretty good. So they had an off day, and you could tell that with the energy and effort early on and just the crispness Purdue played with, that they were more rested, obviously, and more ready to go uh, in that Rutgers game. And the biggest area I think you saw this was with turnovers. You know, turnovers had been a problem for Purdue in that narrow win over Maryland on Super Bowl Sunday. And then they were still a bit of a problem up at Northwestern on, what was that, Wednesday? Yeah, that was Wednesday. Um, You know, Purdue had 14 turnovers there against Northwestern. And it was early on in the game when Northwestern was really struggling. They were turning the ball over a lot. Had Purdue not been turning the ball over as much as they did, Purdue might have made this game a little bit less interesting. Those free throws down the stretch that Purdue missed may have, you know, not 
not even happened had Purdue gotten off to a better start with fewer turnovers and been able to extend that lead in the first half more than they were able to. Against Rutgers, they came back with a little more rest, only seven turnovers. And that that's such a profound difference because this is the number one most efficient offense in America, according to Ken Palm. That's seven more possessions for the most efficient offense in America. That's very, very important. And you see that on the scoreboard. That's the difference between 70 points and 84 points. Now, not totally. You know, you're not scoring on every single one of those possessions to make up 14 points. But, you know, that's the difference. That's a seven-point difference. That's a 10-point difference. Uh, That's very, very important. And especially with how good of an offensive rebounding team you are, you know, you just get more and more possessions that way. We saw the rest as well be a major factor in the play of Jaden Ivey, I think. Um, That Northwestern game was not his finest hour. Uh, Only played 23 minutes. It was fairly clear that some degree of a message was being sent there. Um, He was in a little bit of foul trouble, but also, you know, just wasn't taking great shots, wasn't playing in the flow of the game. Goes two for 12. Uh, And then he comes back against Rutgers and has a fantastic day. Uh, 25 points, I believe. Uh, Let me look. Yeah, 25 points, 5 for 11 from the field, uh, but 15 of 18 from the foul line. You know, that shows the impact he makes when he puts the ball on the floor and goes to the rim. And it is worth noting, you know, in that 5 for 11, that's 5 for 6 from two-point range. That's 0 for 5 from 3. Unfortunately... I worry that we're starting to see a little bit of regression from Jaden Ivey uh, as a three-point shooter. Look, you know, at one point I know he was shooting 46%. I said this last week, I still maintain it. I don't know that Jaden Ivey is a 46% three-point shooter. That's pretty tough to do. And even Sasha Stefanovic is like 42%, 41%, somewhere in there. Um... He's starting to cool off a little bit. That's down in the 30s now. Uh, that's Maybe that's more accurate. But at the same time, no one in America is better at making those plays off the bounce than Jaden Ivey. You know, you saw that uh, absolute poster of a dunk when he went up, dunked all over Caleb McConnell after getting past Ron Harper Jr. That stuff is just different. Uh, that's why he's a lottery pick in the NBA draft this year. That's why, you know, I've said this really since day one, um, at least since Big Ten play last year, Purdue hasn't had a guy like that. It's just that explosive uh, and that skilled at finishing around the basket. He's not just a dunker. He's really, really crafty around the rim. Um, And you saw just, you know, you hope that extra rest helped him. And that's something that he's going to have a lot of here with days off coming up. So, You'd love to see that from Jaden Ivey. And in that Rutgers game, I thought Purdue played fantastic. Uh, I thought that was one of Purdue's best performances in Big Ten play. Um, Rutgers is a good team. Uh, They are playing incredibly well of late. You know what? They just beat Michigan State, 
Wisconsin, Ohio State, Illinois, all in a row. Uh, Wisconsin, Ohio State, that order may be flip-flopped, but they just beat four ranked teams in a row and then came to Purdue looking to make it five. Granted, um, you know, I think Purdue had some inherent advantages. I always believe that a rematch favors the team that lost the first time. Uh, you just, especially in the Big Ten when you know each other so well, uh, I think that is very true. And there was certainly motivation there. Um, the way that game ended, the way Purdue let that game go, uh, they should have won that game. They didn't. Rutgers came in and they threw the kitchen sink at Purdue. They had a ton of different press looks. You know, they full court pressed three quarters of the game. I mean, Purdue got off to a hot start on offense and Rutgers threw a press on maybe the under eight timeout in the first half. I don't remember the exact point, but they pressed early and they never really came out of it. And I'm, I'm surprised it didn't wear Rutgers out more. Uh, it did rack up some fouls. You know, Paul Mulcahy fouled out. Caleb McConnell fouled out. Um, but Purdue did a great job handling that press. I can only think of one turnover that the press forced all game, and that came very late. You know, you can make the argument that, sure, you know, it slowed Purdue down getting into their half-court offense. That's what the press is designed to do. And Purdue didn't, you know, it slowed Purdue down for a little bit, but that's what the press does. And eventually you're going to get worn out from that. It's not all that sustainable to press the entire game usually. Rutgers is able to do it. It's not usually sustainable. And Purdue was excellent on offense as a whole anyways. You know, they shot 53% from the floor. That's really good. Eight for 22 from three. That's fine. Purdue usually shoots better than that, which I think says more about Purdue than uh, the shooting performance in that game as a whole. Purdue was excellent, and you know you wouldn't have a neutral observer wouldn't have thought Purdue had any problems with the press. If you were at Mackey Arena, and I assume it was loud enough to hear on TV, you'd think Purdue was turning it over left and right because every time the Clock, the you know the shot clock hit 25 left, and Purdue is still in the backcourt. You know the crowd starts going nuts a little bit. Man, calm down, people. I mean, Purdue has this figured out. You know they they've got a few different press breaks that they've shown. You know they'll bring Sasha Stefanovic up as a screener. They'll put Mason Gillis across the half court line to catch it. They'll put Sasha Stefanovic or Jaden Ivy across it in you know closer to the sideline areas. They've got things figured out here. Um, they're doing a good job there. That's not to say that there's no reason to be concerned about the press moving forward. You know, I think anytime, anytime you've shown a weakness to the press, at some point, you know, it's always a, a worry. But Purdue's a much better team at handling the press than they were back in December when Iowa really did a nice job of getting back into that game and really hurt Purdue. Uh, but Purdue was also a lot less structured in trying to break the press then. They've done a nice job there. They did a really good job against a Rutgers team that's very athletic and very long in that press. That's a tough press to beat. Purdue did a great job of doing that.
One guy for Purdue who deserves all the praise in the world of late has been Eric Hunter Jr. Uh, really struggled to start off his senior year, and you feel for the guy. I mean, that's tough. You know, you, you always want your seniors to go out strong, and boy, is he ever of late. Ever since that calendar really turned to 2022, the new year hit, he's been fantastic. 11 points in that game at Northwestern in a game where Purdue really needed some scoring help, uh, when Jaden Ivey wasn't himself, when Sasha Stefanovic had a rough day shooting, Trevion Williams didn't have his best day. Um, he was great in that game, and then he did an unreal job of handling the press against Rutgers. You know, he's your ball handler there. He's your guy to break the press, and... We saw it with how much he played. You know, Hunter played 37 minutes in this game. That tells you right there that Matt Painter really wanted no part of having him off the floor when Purdue was trying to break that press. He did a great job in that game. I think more than anyone, he's a bit of an X factor for Purdue. Because when they're getting some scoring from him, you really... You really just are benefiting so much on the offensive end because he's a good mid-range shooter. He hasn't knocked down as many this year as maybe he has in the past. He's a good mid-range shooter. He can get to the bucket all right. And, you know, he's a 40% three-point shooter. He's done a really nice job there in Big Ten play. Um, he's an X-factor, man. When, when he's playing well, that raises this team's ceiling quite a bit. And that's not a slight on Isaiah Thompson. He's been good this year for Purdue. Uh, he's had some great moments, a big three against Villanova, you know, 18 points against Iowa. Uh, but I think Eric Hunter Jr. just raises the ceiling when he's playing well at that point guard position. And, of course, he's your best perimeter defender as well. And that's very important. Zach Eady had a great week. Um Two really good games for him. He didn't necessarily uh, have a whole lot given to him in his favor against Northwestern. You know, Travion Williams picked up a couple of fouls early on in that game, the second of which was uh, pretty ill-advised going for a second offensive rebound over a guy's back when he'd only been on the floor for about 45 seconds, really put Edie in a tough spot. Uh, but Edie was excellent. Uh, he he had a really good week. And I think now you're starting to see what the rotation is going to look like when Purdue gets into the NCAA tournament. In the backcourt, you're going to have Hunter, Ivy, and Stefanovic out there a lot. Uh, you're going to have some minutes for Isaiah Thompson. You're going to have some minutes for Ethan Morton. But you're going to have Hunter Ivy Stefanovic all out there over 30 minutes, no doubt, in my mind. Uh, when you move, you look at Morton, I, I think he's going to get a good amount of play, especially depending on matchups. You know, Caleb First is matchup dependent at the four, in my opinion, a little bit. Um, you know, if you have a team with a really quick four, that raises some matchup concerns. So. Morton may play a pretty big role there coming in for Mason Gillis, uh, but he's going to be your anchor there. And then the most fascinating thing is going to be the minute distribution between Zach Eady and Travion Williams. 
You know, Zach Eady is unlike anyone in college basketball. He's so big. He is so skilled for how big he is. He's got a great touch. But Travion Williams is a better defender. Travion Williams is a better passer. Although Zach Eady has been passing the ball very well of late, um, it, it could be a defense thing. It could really just be a defense thing where Travion Williams has to be out there to guard a more mobile five. But if a team doesn't have a five that can, you know, shoot from deep or shoot from, you know, 17, 18 feet, then, man, Zach Eady might be your guy. Uh, it's really going to be matchup dependent, I think. And that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Of course, the biggest story um, prior to what happened up in Madison was the NCAA selection committee unveiling, unveiling, my goodness, their top 16 as of right now. Of course, this in reality doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, it's all just hypothetical. If the tournament were to start right now, you know, if this Sunday were selection Sunday, they had Purdue number seven overall. Uh, that was the two seed in the Midwest region up uh, playing the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight at the United Center. Auburn the one, Texas Tech the three, UCLA the four. Now, how relevant is all of this? Well, not very. Um, you know, just with those teams alone, you know, Auburn lost at Florida on Saturday. Purdue won on Sunday. They got a good win over Rutgers. Texas Tech went on the road and beat Texas in a huge game. I don't know what UCLA did, but, you know, all of that can change so quickly. Um, it was interesting to see the teams ahead of Purdue. I thought Baylor was a very interesting one at number five overall. Yeah, you know, they've been good, but they just lost Jonathan Chamuachachua. For the year. Uh, he blew out his knee last weekend, I believe. So that's a big problem. Um, I don't know I don't know where that'll go. Uh, I, Purdue fans are well aware that the selection committee in the past has weighed injuries quite a bit, uh, giving, what was that, a five-loss Purdue team, a four-seed uh, back in 2010. So you never know there. But it was always it's always interesting this time of year to check the brackets and see things. Um, if you're like me, you know you're always looking at the ESPN bracketology and the Fox ones with Mike DeCourcy. Always fun to at least look, and we'll have some more on the tournament here in a minute. But moving ahead, one game this week, Purdue has plenty of time to practice. I just listened to the Matt Painter show before this off days. Today, Monday, tomorrow, Tuesday, both off, and then they're going to practice Wednesday, Thursday, head up to East Lansing Friday uh, for a noon tip-off on Saturday. How good is Michigan State is the real question. And look, they started off Big Ten play 8-2, and two, looked to be a real factor, and now they've lost 4-5, of five, sitting just 9-6 and six in Big Ten play. That will change before Purdue comes to town. Uh, they play Iowa tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, that's a game at Carver-Hawkeye. Never never the easiest place to play. So, you know, that's probably a 50-50 game in my book. You know, part of their issue is they don't really have a go-to guy. Now, Tyson Walker was huge for them 
in the second half on Saturday when they almost came back to beat Illinois, but that hasn't been there consistently all year. Gabe Brown and Malik Hall are probably your two best bets. They're good players, certainly three-point threats. Malik Hall plays very hard. Gabe Brown has been struggling of late. That'll probably switch. Max Christie was a really highly touted freshman. I'd say at this point, his potential outweighs his production of what he's done so far. Now, I'll add, Big Ten fans should probably hope he heads pro after this year. I know he's a guy where that's a conversation. I wouldn't want to deal with him again next year. If he's a guy that the NBA loves, I want him to get out of here. You don't want to have to deal with him after another offseason of development. This is a beatable Michigan State team, but... It's a tough place to win. Breslin is never easy. The MO is always the same. You have to keep him off the glass. You need to keep him out of transition. If you do that, you should be in good shape. Big if. You know, that's been the case with Michigan State for as long as I can remember. And they've probably, I don't know this for a fact, but I assume they've won more Big Ten championships than anyone since Izzo's been there. Um, They're always good. They're always tough to beat. So... This will be a good game for Purdue. Uh, I think it helps to be pretty well rested. I think this is a different Purdue team because they can run with Michigan State in transition. Uh, Most Big Ten teams usually cannot. Michigan State tries to speed teams up. I think this Purdue team can probably handle that. At the same time, the way Michigan State's half-court offense has struggled this year I think if you're Purdue, you're A-OK getting this game in the half court, letting Zach Eady and Travion Williams go to work on Marcus Bingham, on Julius Marble, on Matty Sissoko. Uh, you've got a big advantage down there. I will say, Purdue stole one from them last year. Uh, Purdue went up to East Lansing, played terribly for about 30 minutes. Travion Williams went Superman late and won the game for Purdue. I doubt those Michigan State guys have forgotten about that. They'll be ready to go. It'll be a good one. It's a game Purdue has to have. We'll see how it goes. I want to answer a few questions here before we go to the Big Ten look around and talk about the slap heard around the world. Um, You know, the old saying is guards win in March, but Purdue runs a lot of their offense through their bigs. And I had a question, you know, how viable is that for a Final Four run? Does Purdue need Ivy to be the guy like Carson Edwards was? And, you know, yeah, um, I think so. But at the same time, I think Purdue is pretty well suited for Jaden Ivy to be that guy who takes over. Because if you look across college basketball, this is not a great guard year. Um, there are some pretty good wing players, uh, you know, Jabari Smith, Paolo Bancaro, those guys are studs, EJ Liddell. Um, there are some great big men, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, uh, Kofi Coburn, Hunter Dickinson, you know, they're all over the place, but there aren't a ton of great guards that just go make plays with the ball in their hands. Uh, so I think... This may be a year where Purdue can get away with that. I do think it helps Purdue, of course. I'll never never say it's a bad thing that you have an advantage inside over pretty much everyone you play. Um, 
the downside with that is that it's a different game in the NCAA tournament. It gets called differently than the Big Ten. And that's why I think the Big Ten struggles so much is that it's a physical league with a ton of big men. Well, that's not how a lot of the rest of the country plays. So, yes, you know, Purdue probably needs Jaden Ivey to have a great NCAA tournament. But if you can find a player you'd rather have that you need to take over a game in the NCAA tournament, let me know uh, because I don't think anyone can go create better than Jaden Ivey. You know, on the NCAA tournament topic, who are some teams that would be a tough matchup for Purdue? And I really just think anyone with a center that can really shoot it. Um, that's what that's what concerns you is the Hunter Dickinson matchup where he's out there dropping threes on you. Uh, Purdue's seen it a few times this year. That concerns you. Like when Iowa went small with Chris Murray and he's knocking shots down, Purdue doesn't have a counter to that. They just don't. And every team's going to have a flaw. No one's ever going to be perfect. That's Purdue's flaw. Um, I would say, you know, a team that relies heavily on the three-pointer, I don't love, like Alabama, as a team that would scare me because they're a drive-and-kick all-day team. And Purdue does not rotate well on defense. And teams that are three-point heavy have the very strong ability to just get hot, drop 15 threes on you, and they're tough to beat. Uh, I also think the stronger a team is defensively, you know, Purdue's done it. You know, they beat Maryland in a low-scoring game. They beat Northwestern in a lower-scoring game. But, man, if you're Purdue, you don't want to have to get into games where you just have to grind it out on the defensive end. Texas Tech is a team like that that's in that was in Purdue's projected region. They're a great defensive team. They would worry me a little bit. But we're a long way away from there. Um, but that's just kind of the, the type of team that would concern me a bit. And then if you could add any past Purdue player to this year's team, who would it be? Boy, that's tough. Um, that's really tough because this team's really good. I don't know that you need a ton more scoring. I mean, I, the de facto answer kind of has to be Glenn Robinson, right? I mean, he was National Player of the Year, number one overall pick. Um, I do think this team could use a lockdown perimeter defender, uh, a Rafael Davis type, in my opinion. Um, that might be my answer, just from a non you know, Glenn Robinson, um, I mean, yeah, Robbie Hummel would be a upgrade over Mason Gillis. That's not a slight to Mason Gillis. Um, I think a player like Rafael Davis, who if you're in the last four minutes and you need someone to lock down a guard, you know, you need, and I can't, you know, it's not a great guard year, so I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself there, but you need someone to go lock someone down on the perimeter. Davis is your guy. By the end of his career, he was shooting, you know, mid-30s percent from three. That's good enough that you have to respect it. Um, so I may go someone like that. Um, but that's a tough one. You know, this team's awfully good. And 
There's not some elite point guard that you can point to. I think that kind of, that may be the spot if you had some transformational point guard, but you really don't when you look back at things. All right. The fun part. Um, Jawan Howard went out and slapped a Wisconsin assistant coach yesterday. Uh, the situation, as I'm sure you all know, you know, Howard's pressing down by, what, 15 points in the last 30 seconds. Greg Gard had put his backups in. Howard brings out the full court press. Wisconsin stuck. Greg Gard calls timeout. Okay, great. Uh, Wisconsin wins, and Howard's all upset because of the timeout call. Look, I if you press at that point in the game, I mean, good for you, I guess, but both coaches have to coach. I mean, I... I that was a tweet I saw today, and I think it sums it up well. You know, if Howard's going to have his guys press, then guard can coach as well uh, and call a timeout. So, look, Greg Guard stopped Jawan Howard in the handshake line. Probably not great, but that's not that big a deal. Coaches talk to each other all the time. Jawan Howard had a meltdown. This isn't his first time doing it. You know, last year he had to be held back at a game at Maryland. Um, clearly there are some issues there that need to be taken care of. Um, you know, I, he's been suspended for the rest of the Big Ten season. Uh, that's the right decision. Seeing him get booed at Banker's Life Fieldhouse is going to be hilarious in the Big Ten tournament. Um, you know, Michigan hasn't always been the most likable school in the Big Ten, I personally am not a not someone who minds Michigan at all. Got good buddies that go to Michigan and went to Michigan, I guess, at this point. But uh, this one doesn't help. I think a lot of folks in the Big Ten are going to hold this one over them. Um, you know, I think this one's on Howard. I real I don't. Greg Gard got fined ten grand. You know, whatever. I don't think he's in the wrong at all. I think this one's on Jawan Howard. It did bring the question though. Got asked. You know. Where would Matt Painter line up in the pecking order of fights in the Big Ten? Well, Jawan Howard, 6'11", and a former NBA player. I really wouldn't want to fight him. Um, Brad Underwood's just kind of the... He's the guy you wouldn't want to fight. Uh, ben Johnson's young. He's in good shape. You wouldn't want to fight him. Uh, Mike Woodson's old. I think he'd be all right. Izzo's short, so... And he can play the game all day. Danny Manning's awfully big if you count him for right now. I will say, if you're looking at assistance to hit, Brandon Brantley would not be very high up on my list of assistance I would want to hit. Uh, Brantley could uh, get after you. I don't, I don't think I'd be swinging at Brandon Brantley anytime soon if you were looking to cause some problems on the Purdue side in a handshake line. The Big Ten standings, though, you know, Purdue's a half game ahead of Illinois and Wisconsin right now. Purdue 13-4, and four, Illinois and Wisconsin are 12-4. and four. Purdue probably has to win out to win the Big Ten. Uh, what Illinois has left, Ohio State, at Michigan, Penn State, Iowa. Three of the four at home. Penn State's not great. Uh, Michigan is probably going to be at least there without Howard. Then again, Phil Martelli is probably a better 
actual X's and O's coach. Um, you know, that'll be interesting, but, you know, Illinois is going to be favored in every game. I do think to some degree Iowa's due against them, but Illinois is also the better team. Wisconsin, obviously Purdue kind of controls that one because Purdue plays Wisconsin still. They go at Minnesota, at Rutgers, Purdue, Nebraska. At Minnesota, Nebraska should be no problem wins. At Rutgers and Purdue are going to be tough on Wisconsin. Um, I think at this point, you know, Purdue needs to win out because I think Illinois will win out. That's my guess. Obviously, they could lose. I wouldn't be completely shocked if they lost, you know, one of the three to Ohio State at Michigan or Iowa. But that's where Purdue's at. Um, it's a three-team race at this point. Ohio State's probably out of it after they lost to Iowa over the weekend. Um, and then, to some degree, uh, Purdue and Wisconsin, one will knock the other out next week unless one of those teams knocks themselves out of the picture beforehand. And then there's a chance you know they could both be out and Illinois could cruise to this thing. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I am... I think Purdue could really stand to use the regular season title. Um, I think they'd love to have that. I think it's always advantageous. You know, you want you want to win a conference title. I would rather have that in the regular season than go to the conference tournament needing to win that for a conference title. I think the regular season means infinitely more. And also there's the... Good old narrative. Do you want to win the conference tournament or not? You know, sometimes you want to have a loss before the NCAA tournament. I don't hate that idea. I'm kind of a proponent of that, actually. Um, you don't you don't want to go in being super hot. Sask Illinois last year. That didn't go so well for them. Um, so, you know, if you're Purdue, you want this regular season championship bad, and you really want to win these next two, so that you can come home for senior night against Indiana with a Big Ten championship on the line. That went really well for Purdue the last time that was the scenario. All right, let me check Twitter real quick to make sure that I have all of your questions answered. want to make sure that I don't, don't miss any of those. Um, I appreciate all you sending those in, though. You know, some of those NCAA tournament ones are... Fun to talk about. Um, man, it's just crazy how close we are. You know, we're less than three weeks from Selection Sunday. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Having fans back in the stands this year, having the visuals of the whole arena rooting on a 14 seed or something, that's a lot of fun. Um, but let's cap this thing off. A few random thoughts for the week. Um, college football playoff is not going to expand past four teams until at least 2026 when that initial TV contract expires. Look, I, I take this approach as a college football fan because of all the sports out there. College football was the first one I really fell in love with, uh, as a spectator. Look, the, you can add teams to the playoff. But all you're doing is devaluing the bowl games more and increasing the likelihood that the best team doesn't win the championship. And 
college football is not about the championship. It never has been about the championship. It's not college basketball. And unfortunately, I think so much of the conversation is trying to make this postseason some grand event with a tournament, you know, with the playoff. This is a regular season sport. I mean, it's always has been. It's most teams don't have a chance to win a national championship in college football. I mean, if you look at the Big Ten right now, how many programs would you say have the chance to win a national championship in the next 10 years in a four-team system? Two, Michigan, Ohio State, maybe Penn State. That's a big maybe. I don't think Wisconsin can. They're not going to stack up with the athletes of Georgia and Alabama. Uh, Look, this is what it is. I mean, you can expand this playoff and make it 12 teams and, you know, do the automatic qualifiers so that we get a 9-3 and Pac-12 team to go get their brakes beat in by Bama. I mean, it can happen, but I don't think that focusing on the playoff is the best thing for college football. That's my opinion. I know that's unpopular. I know the majority of people want to see an expanded playoff. I personally just don't see the need for it. Because also, look, if you want the best team to win the national title, then you saw it this year. Georgia and Bama were the two best teams. I mean, 2020 Bama, 2019 LSU. Um, I don't know that there's ever been a year that there's much debate that the best team won it. And in fact, the only year where there was even drama around the four seed was that first year uh, when Ohio State got in. Other than that, the four seed generally gets smoked. The 2-3 game is generally non-competitive. And then we get a good game in the championship. Even some years that doesn't happen. So I don't know. I'm a regular season guy. And if you can... Uh, The bowl games aren't ever going to be what they used to be, but if you can keep those somewhat interesting, I'm all for it. In college football news uh, related to TV as well, the potential's been floated that the Big Ten could draw a billion dollars in a TV deal. Um, I know, look, you have all the major power players with interest. You know, Fox could pretty much unilaterally have the Big Ten since they own BTN, You have the platforms with BTN, with FS1, FS2, and Fox. You have the ability to completely have the Big Ten rights unilateral. NBC has some interest in buying a time slot. You know, they've brought up the idea of a Saturday doubleheader instead of just having Notre Dame in the afternoons. Uh, You could either... You know, put put the Big Ten on whichever side of that afternoon Notre Dame game you'd like, but that's an option. I don't know that I think ESPN Disney will be all that into this. Uh, they're pretty all in with the SEC, and I I don't know. I've got a hard time thinking that they're going to really pony up for the Big Ten with how far in they are with the SEC. And then CBS, you know, that three thirty CBS slot that we all love, um, that's wide open. Uh, The SEC's done with that. It'd be pretty cool to hear that SEC on CBS music uh, as they show a wide shot of Ross-Ade Stadium. That's just my perspective there. 
All of this is good for Purdue. Um, you want the most TV money possible that allows you to do more, that allows you to get going on Ross Aid renovations, that allows you to you know, do whatever you want to do, do whatever is needed. Um, there's, it's a never-ending arms race in college football, and you will take all the money you can get and finally, shout out Purdue Baseball, 4-0 start to the season. They swept South Dakota State over the weekend. Enjoyed listening to some of those games on the radio. Um, awesome to see college baseball. Um, as I record this, there was a MLB negotiation today that's hopefully going to go somewhere. But in the meantime, you know, I'm enjoying watching college baseball. It is a fun product, and the closer we get to June the more fun it gets. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for spending some time with me. I always appreciate you guys listening. Uh, as always, if you don't already, follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week to preview what could be a massive week for Purdue, depending on how the showdown with Michigan State goes Saturday. Plenty of things to talk about next week. Already looking forward to that. Uh, so stay tuned. We will be back next time. Until then, enjoy Saturday's game.